All right, everybody, we are dedicating this year Le'ilu Nishmas Ariel Ben Avram, that's Rivkala's father, Mezen Shabbat Hamanaliyah, Amen, and for a Refua Shlema for Benyamin Yitzchak Ben Chava Naomi, may he have a Refua Shlema, Amen. Okay, so we are. Perifera Basarleya. Okay, so here um, I want to open up a very, very interesting topic that I don't think we ever spoke about. But let's begin with to say that we're ha- we have a prayer halachic class. I want to begin with that, which is very much connected to the laws of Tisha B'Av. I don't mind making a very quick overview. And this is an open-ended discussion. I hope nothing I'll tell you is new, because it's not new, but you're going to hear words that will help you understand the phenomena that is happening, that is almost funny, paradoxical, and um, I think more the more awareness that we have of it, um, the more empowered we are, the more we can um, indulge in this phenomena when needed, and the more we have the ability at times to divest ourselves from certain paradoxes when they're not needed. Okay, so here let's begin with, with the Siddur. Um, men and women ideally should make the 15 morning blessings, right? In bed moida'ani. In bed moida'ani is a new thing. It used to be in the times of the Gemara that in bed we would say, alakai netzor, I'm sorry, alakai kama, neshama shanasatabi tahirihi atabarasa atiyatsarta, that prayer was said in bed prior to washing the hands, even though we conclude the blessing with evoking God Almighty's holy name. Um, vaguely, from the times of the Arizal, 500 years ago, uh, the great Chachamim who are in the know shared with us that there is a higher level of impurity, whatever that means, it's misunderstood, that went into the world, that, are, that is connected to us, that engulfs our hands when we wake up. We'll have time, we'll speak about that. And therefore, prior to washing Negel Vasid, we shouldn't say Hashem's name. Um, we never removed that prayer, but it was substituted with which is a very important tefillah, or slash statement of acknowledgement. Really, we spoke about this, I think, last week. Maida'ani really means to submit, bittle, whatever Maida'ani means, it's something very deep, and that's the way we begin our day. After we wash our hands, ironically, also now, first we we express gratitude for something physical, and then for something spiritual. Dafka. Ashiyotzar is gashmi. Ashiyotzar is the prayer that a person makes after one relieves oneself, and we acknowledge and we thank God for the fact that the body functions. Can always function better, but uh, relative to, you know, we're here, we're living, and the miracle of the body, and then we speak about the miracle of the soul. Yes? Well, if you get up in the middle of the night, and you have the leg of us by you, if you just go into a living room and come back, should you, you know, women happens to go in the middle of the night. Okay. So I want to give you a, a, a story. The story is, is that... You're a, chassid. a story because I had the merit that Rabbi Shmuel David or Nachum Shmuel David Halevi, a right chick, all of a shalom, a big tzaddik, um, slept in my room. I think it was for for three years, for a month, a year, 
at that time in the in the in the 70s, right? Whatever the age was, he also had a minute to get up many times during the night to go to the bathroom. And every time he got up, this is tzaddik. It's not just he washed Negelwasser. The way he washed Negelwasser was very inspiring. Did I ever meet anyone else who does that? No. So, theoretically, whenever a person sleeps for 30 minutes or more, day, night, there is tuma on the hands and you have to wash Negelwasser. That's not. That's the way it is. Do people wash it at their bed without getting out? Do people do that? I only saw it by him. He was a tzaddik. So maybe the right answer is, if you're a tzaddik, do it. And either, if you're not a tzaddik, don't do it. Or, if you don't do it, then you won't be a tzaddik. I don't know what's the cause, what's the effect. The halacha is not to wash it at your bed. That, that's really based on Kabbalah. Based on Kabbalah, we're not supposed to step on the ground. That's not a halacha. The halacha is, is that after you sleep for 30 minutes or more, you should wash your hands prior to saying God's name. Okay. So after, now there's many people have different say there of the morning prayers. We then say 15 blessings. 15 blessings. The first one is, speak about the rooster. Even a rooster has seichel. It's almost funny that that's the first one. Then, I mean, I know that many people have different, um, a different ordering of the these blessings, right? Pekeachivrim, matarasurim, etc., etc. One of the blessings is shaasa li kol tsarki. Who knows what these words mean? Shaasa li that God provided for all my needs. It's very difficult to understand the context of that prayer. Because every prayer is for something specific. Oh, I think you're amazing. Yeah, how am I amazing? Oh, you see, it's not so simple. So you, it's very easy to generalize, and sometimes you want to specify. The morning blessings are specifics that you made me, you took away my blindness, that I'm able to stand up straight, that I'm able to walk. You're going into mamish specifics that I have garments to dress myself in. And then you have this one standalone general that God, I'm thanking you f- that you provided for me for all my needs. I have a kasha. If you're thanking God for all your needs, why do you have to make any other brach? Thank you, God, for providing all my needs. Seeing is a need. Walking is a need. And even if the, the say that is you're going from general to specific, which is fine, or you're going from specific and then you're generalizing, so that blessing should have been the first or the last. It's a middle. Why is it in the middle? Who knows the answer? Guess. If we're going through specific um, acknowledgements, does that actually refer to something general or is it also a specific thank you? Don't we have a quota of a day of how many brachas? I get that. So at least put it in the beginning or put it at the end. No, it's when you go into generalizing and then specifying. So, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to say, I think you're amazing. You're telling God. And then you go into specifics. Or you go, you're, God, you gave me this and you gave me that. And you know what, God, you gave me everything I need. That fits. But when you, you get, you're speaking about specifics, specific, specific, and then you say in middle, Sha'asali called Sarki, it doesn't fit. And then you go right into specifics. In case you forgot something. No, 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 no. Actually, Sha'asali called Sarki, I'm going to tell you something that you guys know already. 
Shasalikarts is about something specific. When we are saying the words in Hebrew that God, blessed are you, God, my God, the king of the world, that you gave that you made for me. You made for me, you made for me all of my needs. You're not speaking about all of your needs. I'll tell you more. No one has all of their needs. What are you talking about? We're contradicting ourselves the whole time. Oh God, you gave me all of my needs. And then you have 50 pages about all the things that you need. Who knows what? This is speak, This is about something specific. What's that specific? Well, let me word it this. Which day or days of the year do you not make that bracha? Shkoyach, who's here? Why? Which is? No, no, no. Oh. No, 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 shoes. Mamish. Leather shoes. It says that in the Siddur. Ah, what's the meaning of the shoes? That's what I want to talk about that. They should. They're lacking a need. And let me tell you what they, the Hasidus explains this beautifully. But I want to drive. You know, it's, there are two days a year that we're not allowed to wear leather shoes. Halachically. One of them is Tishabov. So just a quick recap of the basic laws of Tishabov. Today is Tuesday. Tomorrow, Wednesday, out of Tishabov, which means from Halachic midday, which is around 1 p.m., if the temple is not yet rebuilt, then we already initiate various laws of national mourning, which includes we're not allowed to learn about anything other than halachas that are related to the day of Tishabov. Um, from when? From tomorrow midday. Wednesday. Wednesday noon. Halachic noon is not 12 o'clock. It's around 1 p.m. Any type of strolling about for leisure, which may be done during the nine days, if it's not dangerous, should not be done from then. There's a certain diminution of our leisurely activity. We have two meals tomorrow afternoon. The latter one, the last one should be eaten as close as we could prior to sunset, just the basic rules. And in it, we have bread and we have a boiled egg. Some people have the minute to dip it into ashes. We make ashes. You make ashes by burning a piece of paper. And we sit on the ground when we eat the egg, when we have that meal. We're not supposed to have anything other than one cooked food, which is the egg. Having a coffee at the end of the meal does not call cooked food. You can have an egg and coffee, but... It's a, it's a limited su'uda. It's called su'udas hamafsekas. These are the basic rules. After you finish, let's say, if, I, I didn't see what time the fast begins, whenever shkia is around. Let's say shkia around is 8 o'clock or a quarter to 8. I don't have to eat it the last second. It's not going to make any difference. You can have it at 7. When you eat it, you sit on the ground. But you don't have to sit on or on a low stool. <clears throat> you don't have to stay on a low stool. You don't have to stay on a low stool after you finish the meal. So if I finish the meal and I want to sit down on my chair to do whatever I'm doing, I can do so. From Shkia tomorrow, someone can check what time Shkia is. From Shkia tomorrow, Wednesday, we're learning this in nineteen, uh, in 2023. There you go, 19, yeah. Tav Shem Um It changes every year. We have to abstain from eating, drinking, anointing ourselves, which would mean putting on a cream, which would mean putting on makeup. We're not allowed to bathe. That will even include washing one's hands, unless one's hands got actually soiled. Specifically, we're not allowed to wear leather shoes. I want to. We're going to go into the leather shoes. You can wear a leather belt. You can wear leather clothing. 
This is equal, Yom Kippur, equal Tishabov. Same. You can wear leather clothing, but you cannot wear leather shoes. And who knows why? So very good, very good. So that, that's the issue. The issue is that when you learn about the Sunday Gemara, it's about it's about comfort, it's about pleasure. Tainuk. The challenge with that is is that I know that this is recent, but Yiddishkeit is also recent. One can make an argument that how many of us now can buy a pair of shoes or sneakers that have no leather in it, and that might be the most comfortable footwear that you have. And if the the concept would be to abstain from comfort that's not needed, why didn't it trickle itself down in halacha that you can't wear leather? I'm not saying to go backwards. And minority opinions say that. The majority opinion now will hold that you can wear any type of shoes as long as there is no leather. So the question is why or or if it's about comfort, why shoes? Why not make a general statement? Don't wear any type of clothing that's exceedingly comfortable, however you define it, and leave it to the halachic masters. They define everything. They'll drive you nuts. They'll write 80 books defining accepted amount of comfort beyond the letter. No one went that way. So I want to come back to that today, about the leather shoes. And when we speak about you made me all my needs, it's dafka about the leather shoes. And then for married people, that we have to abstain from marital relations. These are the five halachas of abstinence for Yom Kippur and for Tishabov. And because of that, because of the halacha that we're not allowed to wear leather shoes, in the morning prayers, we omit, we don't say, because it's not this general statement. It's specifically that, God, you provided for me shoes. Okay, so there we go. No, right before nine. All I'm saying is, is that people think they have to have the surah sam of seconds to the last second. You don't need to do that. Have it whenever it works out. I'm saying you can eat whatever you want. It's much better not to eat anything afterwards. You can have another cup of water afterwards. After the egg? After, after the surah of seconds means after your bench. Yeah, which it's a meal comprised of bread and an egg. Some people have a minute to dip a little bit of the egg in ashes. Okay. So that's that's a, just a quick recap now. The highest level of mourning should go until Thursday, halachic noon. That will include also, when possible, not to sit down on a normal chair, to sit down on a low stool, like someone who's in mourning. Um, in, the, in, in the reality of everyone, everyone lives in a different reality. Okay, I don't mind speaking out. When, when I was in yeshiva, one of the ways that, that we wrongfully dealt with fasting, which is difficult for some people, was based on the premise that we just ate Wednesday. So Wednesday night is the easiest time to fast. As you go into the fast, it gets harder. So the solution was a bad solution. People used to watch videos the whole night. None of this is kosher. And uh, that was the way. And then they slept the whole day. Where's the kiss? Okay, Mrs. Fishman, if you would be here, I wouldn't even say that. I'm just trying to point out, what I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is like this, is that everyone should know where they're at and be mindful that there are many other activities other than the five that don't fit in the spirit of we are mourning for the Chorban of the Beis HaMikosh. And wherever you're at, whatever you will abstain from, that abstinence is a lot more important halachically until Thursday noon versus Thursday afternoon. 
Thursday after halachic noon, many halachas of mourning are diminished. They are lessened. They are lessened. Which means that we're allowed to sit on a chair. I'm speaking to tzaddikim now, that people that learn Torah, but they're, they're not going to learn that Torah, but after midday they can learn Torah. For people that are going to pass their time by uh, indulging in whatever they should never be doing anyways, leave that for the afternoon. That's all I'm saying. Just to be aware of the concept that Thursday afternoon is where we start easing our way out of the laws of mourning. Okay? You want to watch the news? Watch it in the afternoon. That's a Mrs. Fishman. Okay, that's a better muscle or any other muscle. Sometimes on the news there's some background music. So leave it for the afternoon. Don't do it. Right, if you can't listen to music, how can you watch a movie? Think about that. But okay. Um, so let me come back to the shoes. So what's this thing with the shoes? So to introduce the shoes, I want to I wanna share this. This is a big idea. A big idea. I'm going to share words. It's good to listen to it. These are themes that people really have to get into for weeks, for years, to chop properly. There are two different themes. I'm going to speak out both just for people to know that there are two phenomena and we should not confuse one with the other. The first one is not the topic that I want to talk about, but I'll just bring it up, and that's called hit kalalut, hiskalalus. Hiskalalus means like this. We believe that there is God. We believe in God. We believe that God is one. We believe that the oneness of God permeates the reality. I know these words everyone heard, but these are big words and they have a lot of consequences. Mamish. And that includes that even though, even though everything has a certain nature, everything is a thing and not some other thing, right? A square is not a circle. A circle is not a square. Everything is what it is, meaning it's not something else. Everything could metamorphose into something else. Everything. Because since we all come from the same source, Hashem is one, if everything came from the same source, if we touch our source, we can become something else. And that is the, that, that's another topic. That's called the skalolos, that everything is really inter-included with everything else. That really gives the biggest hope to mankind when a person will acknowledge, you know what, I have a, a mean streak, I have a bad midah. What do I do with that? Am I ever really able to transform myself? The answer is yes. I have to really connect to my source, and in my source is just oneness, and I come back down, and I can come back down a new way. person who's sick can mamish become healthy. That's, that's, that's another topic. In other words, when we go back to our source, we somehow can go from one state to another state. Someone who's cruel can become kind. Someone who's wicked can become righteous. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a whole different phenomenon. And the words in Kabbalah is... Achlifu duchtayu. I don't know if you learned about this in yeshiva or in seminary. Achlifu duchtayu. Listen to the words. These are the words. And I'll unpackage it and then I'm going to come back to the shoes over here. Everything that we know is comprised of light and vessel. Everything is comprised of light and vessel or its spiritual part, its physical part. Okay? You have the cup and you have the water. There are times that the light of chesed was put into a keli of gavura. The light of gavura 
was ex- it exchanged its place. It went into a keli of chesed. Achlifu duchtayim. Hope people don't use this concept, which I'm sure they do, but they shouldn't, to this illness of today of people that are confused with their gender, and they claim that the keli is one gender, but the light is another gender. Okay, that's a negative application of this of this phenomenon. What I'm talking about is something that is a holy thing that could happen. It doesn't happen that often. That normally the light of chesed should go into a keli of chesed. Things should be aligned. The light of gevura should go into a keli of gevura. I'll give you examples in a moment. And there are times that even though there is the light of one, it goes into the keli of its opposite. Of its opposite. When, when we look at something, let me just begin to give a couple of examples. Now, there are many ways that this will manifest. Let's begin with the simplest way. Simplest way. The previous Rebbe was very complimentary. Meaning, if you were to meet the Friedrich Rebbe, and if you were to share that you did anything that promotes Yiddishkeit, the most minute thing, he would shower you with compliments. And you can read it from his letters. Almost, almost exaggerated. Like, like sometimes you did something and you get such compliments that you say to yourself, no, what I did doesn't even warrant that amount of praise. It wasn't that. He was that way. He mamush would praise you. The Rebbe was mamush the opposite. You could have done something really extraordinary if it would be presented to the Rebbe. The Rebbe would not ignore it. But you would get a little acknowledgement and a lot of, now you got to do double. You got to do a lot, you can do a lot better. It's amazing that you have to know how to say it because if it doesn't come from a good place, many people will get frustrated. Like when you make this big effort and you're being told, well, you can do a lot better, right? If it's not coming the right way, it would not elicit a positive reaction. Everyone who heard it from the Rebbe was inspired to do double. That means... It was something good, but someone once challenged the Rebbe. He told him, why is it that your Rebbe, when I did the same thing, he gave me five pages of compliments, and you're giving me five pages of demands. And the Rebbe responded, and this is written, that the previous Rebbe inside was a Gvuradika person. He had a lot of, he had a lot of judgment. And therefore, he externalized himself, he interacted with others in this world in a very chesedic way, to balance himself. The Rebbe said about himself the opposite, that he's filled with chesed, and to balance an overflowing of chesed, you package it with more gevurah. The outer normally should align with the inner. That's the meaning of honesty. But there are times that the outer, whatever the outer is, the keli has to be the opposite of the pnimi. Let me give you an unholy application. The whole emphasis in, in, in the physical part of this world of celebrating the packaging. If there would be content then you wouldn't care that much about the packaging, right? The whole idea of packaging really means that you can argue the more beautiful the package, the more rotten the contents. Sometimes it's the opposite. 
Why would they have to make such a beautiful box? Because they're selling nothing. So you make the box beautiful. Right? When people speak, right? Look at look at look at a Rabbi Manus Friedman. Look at people that are very wise. They they don't move their hands and they don't shout and, and they're not they're not using any techniques because what they're saying is amazing. So you're 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 listening to the words. You don't need the packaging. If someone doesn't have anything extraordinary to share, then you to be successful, you have to learn techniques of how to public speaking, how to package it better. The inner, the outer. Again, normally they should be aligned, but there are times that one will be manifest in the opposite of the other. And many times when we look at something, we have to know that what you're looking at is the opposite of what really is. The opposite. Right? If, if I always say this to the guys, that if someone, if your spouse buys you this amazing gift, what wrong did they do that they bought you such a gift? I mean, that's one way of looking at it, and uh, you might not be that wrong. But you could be wrong. You could be wrong, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that just to be aware of that the outer sometimes, something very one-sided, dafke, has to be packaged in the opposite. Dafke. For it to work. Because it's too much of this and that's too much of that and you have to bring it together by, by having this exchanging the light of one in the vessel of the opposite. In the vessel of the opposite. It's not a sapcha at all. You're not transforming anything. You're not transforming anything. The outer, well, you buy a nice package. The outer is beautiful and the inner is rotten. Nothing was a sapcha. The beautiful remains beautiful, but it's only the outer. And the inner is rotten and it remains rotten. One did not affect the other. One didn't change the other. But it needed to be packaged that way for it to function. Because too much or too much would not work. And if I yet don't know how to moderate myself, so at least I'm going to bring together... So the sum total will be something that works. So the purpose for it is to create balance? The purpose for, for it is prior to a sabcha to have balance in a good way. Prior, for, the ideal is for me to moderate myself. Too much of anything is not good. Of anything is not good. But I'm unable to contain myself. So I need some exterior containment. So if it's a lot of this, I have to contain it in a lot of the opposite. So you do good or Hashem we do it, Hashem does it, the Neshama does it. This interplays also between people a lot. A lot. A lot. That this is done, it just happens. Like, let's go to, a, we have a young married couple, right, in a, in a marriage. It's funny that when one chooses to be very this, it somehow causes the other one to become very much of the opposite. So when everyone, everyone, it's just a matter of time when they say, wow, I never knew that my spouse is mamish the opposite, the opposite. Everyone's spouse is mamish the opposite. But part of the issue is that you went to an extreme. So one person is very um, fun and uh, spontaneous, right? And light. If that is what one is choosing, it's all choices. If you want to go there to an extreme, I promise you, your spouse will become the opposite because there needs to be, for things to function, you need to be somewhere in the middle. So if you're becoming one, the other one has to has to become the other. Has to become the other. Then, oh my God, you're so this, you're so serious, you're so bucks. Even if at the beginning it's not the case. You're saying that it just happens over time? It happens over time and it's initiated by one party to their consciousness or not. And which is very, 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 very empowering because if someone is finding something in their spouse 
that that is intolerable, an educated guest, big possibility. The opposite of that is something that this one, who's being irritated, chose to be. And therefore, all you need to do is, is you have to go a little bit more to the middle. Imagine the one that's always very responsible, they always pay the bills on time, make an experiment for three months, just don't pay the bills, see what happens. The other spouse will freak out, they will become more responsible. It, it, has, it's, it has to happen that way. And this is not only in something so simple as paying bills, it, it, it's amazing. In other words, the light of one has to be contained by the opposite. If the light is overwhelming, excessive, excessive good, but excessive. Excessive is not good by, by definition. Okay, good, good. Now let me tell you some words. You know, uh, let me share one, one beautiful thing about davening. There are two ways of experiencing Yiddishkeit. Two ways, and historically they played out over many, many thousands of years. One type of Yiddishkeit is a inspired Yiddishkeit. Whoever merited to have it, lucky you. An inspired Yiddishkeit is historically how it began by Matan Torah. There was so much inspiration at the moment of. There was so much inspiration in the in, in the desert. There was so much inspiration with the miracles that happened when we conquered Israel. Mamash, imagine you live with miracles. The truth is we live in miracles, but sometimes like, wow, miracle after miracle. And then we built a base on Mikdash. And any Jew who felt disconnected from God, all that he or she did was they went into the base on Mikdash. We don't know what they experienced, something that we don't have now. You walked in there and you experienced God. Amachayim. Mamash. And it's not that everything was resolved, but you know, we all need to have in that area, I need more amuna. Go to the Beis HaMikdash. They went to the Beis HaMikdash and they were inspired. They had an experience. Amazing. That went on until the first temple was destroyed. More accurately, that went on until Gedalia ben Achikam was murdered. Which is why I don't want to get off on a tangent. The reason why many people were murdered. I know it was done by a Jew, which is a terrible thing. It wasn't the first time. And tragically, it wasn't the last time. But when did the Shechina really depart the Jewish people when not a single Jew lived in Israel. And when did not a single Jew live in Israel? Only from when Gedalia ben Achikam was murdered for around 50 years. From when we entered Israel and after those 52 years, even before we built a second temple, there was never a time in history that Jewish people did not live in Israel. I'm not talking about one Jew, that there were groups of people living in Israel. Once there was no Jew in Israel, that type of inspiration left us only to come back with Mashiach. So if there is a system which also has a whole way of life legally, do this, don't do that. If you take away the inspiration, you make it very difficult. Yiddishkeit today is difficult, which is why many people struggle with it on whatever level they're at, because they're not inspired. And we all know that the little inspiration of Golos, when a Jew is inspired, everything is easy. I know it's not only connected to Yiddishkeit and anything in life, whatever whatever part of life is one is struggling in, that's because they're, they're, they're the neshama, there's no light. So all you have are the rules. The rules will kill you sooner or later. When the first base HaMikdash was destroyed, acknowledged, the first of it, the Chachamim said, there is no more Tanakh. Tanakh was written by people that were inspired on the level of a prophet. They said, done. And even though there were individuals that had that level of inspiration, 
the Anshay Knesset Hagdoyla said, no more, the, the era is over. It was very sad to hear that. People rebelled against it. The Tzedukim, the Baisusim, which ultimately became the Christians in the beginning, when they rebelled, they were rebelling against such a statement. But there's no more Nevi'im, there's no more scripture. Everything is centered around the rules and about halacha. They said, no way. It's not sustainable. We can't. Somehow we managed. We're limping, but we managed for, for over 2,000 years, for 2,500 years. I'm saying even during the times of the second Beis Amikdash, there wasn't miracles in the temple. If a Jew felt uninspired, you went to the temple, didn't necessarily do anything. <laughs> I want to say in our days, when the Rebbe was alive and a person would walk into in 770, not everyone was inspired. I wish the Rebbe was here physically. I also wish. But don't think that when he was here physically, everyone was the big tzaddik. And they were not. I remember. Well, the Rebbe would fabring, and you would have the same percentage of Bachrim that were sitting in the back shmuzing. While the Rebbe was there fabring. Because there was a certain type of revelation of Hashem that was taken away from us, only to be returned with Mashiach. And when that will happen, everything will change. Everything will change. Meaning that our relationship with Hashem through mitzvahs will be something that we don't know of yet. Imagine just the concept that when you feel some inner need to connect, and you will, you will satisfy that by a mitzvah. We will all be running to do mitzvahs, all of us. Mamish. Will there be freedom of choice? Of course. But, but we will become tzaddikim because... There won't be any opposition. And this, this phenomenon that there is a Judaism that's centered around inspiration, and there, which is the soul, which is the neshama, which is light, and then there's a Yiddishkeit that's centered around the law, the rules, which is the keli, is the reason that Al-Tareb explains why in the Shema we have the portion of Yohafta, and then we have the other portion of Ahoyah Im Shemaya. They're very different, but let me just focus on one of the many differences. In Shema, we speak about learning Torah, teaching the children Torah, always. Then we speak about putting on tefillin. I know women don't put on tefillin, or at least some women today don't put on tefillin. Most, Most women don't put on tefillin. I, I don't think tefillin should be the big uh, place to, to wage a battle. You can, okay, I know I'm being recorded. Uh, Michal put on tefillin. It's not such a big issue. We have much worse issues. All right? With the genders, that's an issue that all of us should be terrified for our kids here, which is mamish, mamish. And not to think that we are immune from it because we're not, and it's terrible. Mamish. But okay. So you have, we, tefillin represents all of the mitzvahs in the context of the Shema. We're not just speaking about as does mezuzah. We have two, right, tefillin and mezuzah. Everyone should know the Shema. They are, they are more than just the tefillin. Let me just speak about tefillin. Torah, tefillin, that's in Shema. If you can think about the way the second portion of Ahoyim Shemaya, that again, everyone says, it's ordered that first we speak about the tefillin and then we speak about Torah. Why does God change the order? Genius. Torah represents light. We spoke about this a few weeks ago with the candle lighting. Torah represents enlightenment. Much more than what we have. I know that. So we're still in the dark. But relative to, relative to, when you learn something that's wow, 
you. A lot more than doing a mitzvah for most people. I'm not just doing a, a deed. I'm, I'm understanding. I, I realize something. I'm aware now. I understand. I'm enriched. People understand something. Their face lights up. Begashmi. They shine. It's light. Trader is light. Trader oid. So the Yiddishkeit was trader first. means people were first enlightened. They were inspired. And then they did the mitzvahs. Golos is a time where even if you learn, you're not going to be inspired enough enough to modify behavior. You'll be inspired maybe if you hear something amazing for, for 10 minutes, especially if it's a good story. That's it. And you'll be very inspired until the challenge comes up again and it won't work. So Yiddishkeit is modeled, keep the mitzvahs even before you are inspired. Nasa because there's no way out. Tfilin and then learn Torah and Halavai you'll be inspired a little bit. But it's not based on inspiration because we don't have that level of inspiration. Now let me tell you something what happened about this exchange in relationship. When God gave us inspiration, we had that for a thousand years. Mamish. The Torah was given in year 2448. The first temple was destroyed 1,000 years later. I will tell you more, if I'm not mistaken, Gedalia ben Achikam was murdered exactly a thousand years later. I think two, three, four, four, eight. Amazing. Like Mamish a thousand, a thousand years. And that was the end of the that era. When God inspired us, how did we react? I'm just looking back. We didn't react by running to do mitzvahs. We didn't do that. You know how we reacted? When God was shining on us, we reacted by running back to God, spiritually. Like the spies who didn't even want to go into Israel. Doing mitzvahs means engaging in the lower world. We didn't want to. We felt so close to God that when God was shining his light on us, chesed, we reacted by removing ourselves from this world, which was not good. How many people nowadays, to a certain degree, won't be doing their mission because they need to be connected to their source of inspiration? Lamashal, Many people wanted to live with the Rebbe. The Rebbe for 30 years was shouting, I don't want more than a minion in Quran Heights. I want people to go to every corner of the world and to make communities everywhere, which is something that the Rebbe accomplished. But in the beginning, the Rebbe was shouting this, no one was budging. You know why? They wanted to be with the Rebbe. The more the Rebbe was inspiring, the more people said, I'm not leaving this. And if the Rebbe is going to reprimand me every now and then, why didn't you just move out there? I'll be reprimanded. I'll pay that penalty. I'm staying with my Rebbe. Until today, until today, you know, I always speak about Amat discounting the times where Germany, by the Nazis, the security issue was to that level that we needed to run away. But generally, generally, summertime, many people here go away, they go to a beautiful place where there's no homelessness and everything is perfect. Only here there's problems. There is like amazing. And they come back and the normal thing is, I want to move there. I want to live in light. And and theologically, no, Dafka, no. It's good for you to go to see what a beautiful place looks like 
and for you dafka to live in darkness and for you to bring that light into the darkness. That's the mission. The mission is to bring God into the world. The mission is to bring beauty to the ugly, not to live in beauty. You're inspired and then you bring it down. That's the mission. That's everyone's mission. This is almost universal. As Yidin, to be connected to God and to bring godliness in an ungodly world. So non-Hasidim, without Hasidis, right there, not educated. You, you grow up in a Jewish community and you marry in the Jewish community and you live in the Jewish community and you're buried in the Jewish community. And the Rebbe was telling us, no, it doesn't work that way. You, you grow up inspired, relatively inspired, and then you go out. And if you're living in a dark and in a dirty place, perfect. Now you're fulfilling your mission. One of the first shluchim of the previous Rebbe, one of the, uh, Rabbi Posner, I forgot his first name. I think he was sent by the previous Rebbe to, uh, to uh, it could be Zalman, Tallahassee, Shmalahassee, I don't know the name, some stayed somewhere with all the, all the, all the folk music, some place that he went there, he came back, he says, Rebbe, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And he says, Rebbe, with you, it's lichtik. With you, it's light. Like imagine a chassid after the war, whatever they suffered, they, f- they finally made it and they want to be with the Rebbe. You go move to Tennessee. I don't know, someone, there was nothing there. Nothing. He says, the Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe looked at him and he told him, isn't this the story of every neshama? That the neshama is in Ganeiden. And he says, he remembers the way the Rebbe the Friedrich Rebbe, who was paralyzed, was using his finger. And, the, and God tells the Neshama, go down and go further down. Go further down and bring me over there. Yeah. You're living in a place of darkness. That's the purpose. That's the kavana. That's why we're needed. So the more, so there's like this, God gave us light. How did we react? By gevura, by removing ourselves from the world. So what did God do? God took away the inspiration. God was gavuradik. You know what happened? If we didn't have that much inspiration, we stopped keeping mitzvahs better. We started to keep the mitzvahs better. We started doing our job better. We had no place to run back to. Which is really what's happening in the world right now. Every place is messed up. Even the places that you think you went on vacation and they're beautiful. That's because you went there as a tourist. All the people there are dreaming of moving here. <laughs> Amazing. In other words, if, if so, when there's Gavura, Nashville. Thank you. That's where it was. So when you, and by the way, Nashville, you see how much uh, what what's the the country music? There's a percent of Shama there. Okay, whatever, wherever a person is. So you have this balance. So there there is this. We connect. We connect to a place of light, Chesed, and really then. We have to bring it down. If we're not bringing it down, if it's Torah and mitzvahs, so what happened was people stopped keeping mitzvahs. They just wanted to learn more Torah. Right until now, how many different communities that we don't agree with their theology is that they advocate for people to get married and to spend another 20 years in Koilo. They're not doing a lot in the world, but they're staying in the world of Torah. And relative to them, it's very inspiring. But they're not fulfilling a purpose. They're not in service of, they are in service of themselves in a beautiful way. But we don't advocate that. So there's light, there has to be light, and then you have to package it. It has to be brought down in a keli of, of Gevur. No. 
Let me go back to the shoes. When Adam and Chava sinned, so there are different ways of understanding what exactly happened. Of course, they did a terrible thing, whatever it is that he did, and it's the primordial sin. What did Hashem do to them after the sin? God gave them, says in the Chumash, God gave them leather garments. According to the Zoyar, God took the hide of the snake and he made garments with that for them. That's what the Zoyar says. Like the skin that they... Not like God took a shedded, whatever that's, it was a big serpent. It wasn't a little serpent and that hide, the skin... Yeah, was removed from the animal. That hide represents a external unholy place, and he put Adam and Chava in it. Hasidus explains that wasn't a punishment. That was actually showing not a reason, God forbid, to sin. But now that we sinned, what the purpose of all that? What, 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 why was that needed? It was needed. Why did it happen? When something bad happens, you know, one way of saying is, I wish it wouldn't have happened. But it happened. So now that it happened, something good has to come from it. Not do bad for the good. If it already happened and no one can change the past, so let's make use of it for the good. Adam and Chava were not living in a place of darkness. They were living in paradise. Once they sinned, they were embodied in, in, a, in, a, in a dark world in a world of the serpent. They remained holy. So the benefit of their of their fall was now that they fell, now they are going to be bringing the godly light of their neshama into a fallen world. Never would have happened if they wouldn't have sinned because they never would have been there. There was a place of sin, not their world, not in Gan Eden. They they had no relationship with it. God showed them, now that you touch the serpent, okay, now you have to enclose yourself in the serpent. You have to go into the, who's going in there? Not not a bad person. Adam, Chava, great people. And that will become your new mission. You're going to take the the beauty of Gan Eden and you're going to bring it into the world of the serpent. You will be enclosed in the serpent. It wasn't a punishment. It was showing them their new mission which is a greater mission. Their mission before wasn't that great. This is the greatest mission. The only way they can fulfill that is because they sinned. Did that justify the sin? No. But now they can enlighten a very dark world. We're good. Now let's go back. Why is it that on Yom Kippur and on Tisha we don't wear leather shoes? Leather shoes is a representation of the garments that God made for Adam and Chab. Why shoes? Because shoes is the lowest part of the person. The shoe actually goes under the person. The shoe is what you contact the world with the shoe, the physical world. My lowest part is my shoe. And enclothing myself in shoes represents the mission of man. All of the gifts that God gives me, all of the koiches that God gives me, especially if I am more enlightened, the more enlightened you are, the more inspired you are, the more you are responsible to bring it to even a lower place that needs that inspiration.
let me speak about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is an exception to that. Yom Kippur is the day in the year that we're not meant to be on any mission. It's like vacation. Every now and then, what about me? What about me time? Me time is Yom Kippur. Ruchni is the me time. And that's why you don't eat, you don't drink, don't waste me time on things, the me, me, my neshama. My neshama doesn't care about the eating, doesn't care about the, there's a part of me that doesn't want anything to do with this darkness here. It wants to be connected to God. God gives me that once a year. Come to Yom, we'll come to Tisha B'Av, amazing in a moment. So Taka, on that day, abstain from everything physical, and that's the day that you don't get, don't enclose yourself in the serpent's height. Remove yourself. Not about comfort, I'll pick Kabbalah. And that's why even, though we're not allowed to wear leather shoes, most opinions hold, halachically, you can wear the most comfortable shoes that you want if it's not leather. Because it's not about the comfort, the emiss. It's about, it's about, Yom Kippur is the day in the year, like a person says, I'm on a mission, I need vacation. Emiss, good, take vacation. Yeah, you deserve, whenever, whatever the time is, to go away from a place of darkness, to hop more inspiration. That's Yom Kippur. It's a day where the neshama gets re-inspired. Now there's a caveat. The caveat is, is that God gives me certain powers when I am on my mission. God gives me all my needs. God gives me all of my powers when I'm on the mission because I need it. If I'm not in a world of darkness, certain things are not gifted to me because I don't need it then. You're given the tools of war when you are at battle. The moment you end battle, leave that power with the army, you can't take it back home. You don't need it anymore. Why did God give me all of my needs? All of my needs? Because I'm wearing leather shoes. That's the way Hasidus explains it. So it, it is general, but it's not general. If I'm not wearing my shoes, then God won't give me all of my needs. There are certain special powers that I don't need and I won't be given it because I'm not on a mission. You're given certain brachas when you're on the mission. You're not giving it, not as a punishment. If you're off the mission, you don't need it. The beauty will be is that according to all of this, it comes out that that Tishabov, again, you know, the exchanging places. Externally, Tishabov is the saddest day of the year. Externally. Bepnimius, Tishabov might even be more powerful than Yom Kippur. Certainly equal to Yom Kippur. Bepnimius. And it goes one with the other. Because, because, because Tishabov represents the ultimate ability, the ultimate ability that no matter how dark things are, no matter, you can be there and you can bring light into it. Or even better, I am in a dark place because I'm on a mission to bring some light in this location. And I'm not in here because I'm being punished. I'm not in here because God abandoned me. If I'm experiencing loss, disconnection, or any other dark experience, maybe God put you there to inspire that place, to enlighten that place. You are on that mission. Tishabov is where we were kicked out of Ganeiden, basically. Tisha B'Av is the day for me to reconnect myself with my source. I'm not on the mission on Tisha B'Av. On Tisha B'Av, I don't even go for a walk. I have to really connect 
to something very deep, to hop, to realize that the reason why I am still in the darkness that I'm in is because there's something here that I have to bring light to. Remove your shoes on Tisha B'av, like Yom Kippur. When a person is in a lot of darkness, they have to first step out of it a little bit. If not, they're, they're drowning. But you're not going to step out of it and stay out of it. That's not the way it works, whether we like it or not. We're given moments where you have clarity, where you step out of it, where you look at it, where you see more, okay, what, what's the purpose of all this? And then you're going to go right back into it. Like the Friedrich could ever told him, you have to go down and go down, but you're going down there to bring Yiddishkeit to, to Nashville. So, yeah, Tisha B'Av is a, is, is a day in which we acknowledge that we're living in a lot of darkness. But at the same time, the Shulchan Aruch tells us, take off your shoes. On Tisha B'Av, take a step back, contemplate. What is it that I can do to bring more light into the Golos that I'm in? And ultimately, how can I bring redemption to the Golos that I'm in? That's part of Tisha B'Av. And for that, you can take off your shoes. On Tisha B'Av, we, Fargin, on Tisha B'Av, you can take it easy. Like on Yom Kippur. But the goal, the goal is, is to put your shoes back on Matzei Tisha B'av. Not by deluding yourself that you're living in an amazing world. No, by, by seeing the homeless, by seeing the tzaddis. And by knowing exactly what's by part in making this world a little bit better. Good? Good. Good. In, in his point in history that he came to bring a little bit of inspiration. Shemashantet came to, to unite both experiences of Yiddishkeit. 